This is Donald McIntyre for The Sunday World. This is an exclusive podcast, and my guest today is Professor David Wilson, one of the world's most eminent criminologists, a former prison governor, the youngest ever in the UK. He made his reputation with serial killers. And in today's podcast, we're discussing Robert Black and his new series for Channel 5, Killers Behind Bars. The premise of the programme is about something that I've written about and been teaching my students about, which is that every serial killer I've worked with may be convicted for three, four, five or more murders, but I'm always convinced they're responsible for other murders that they never get convicted of. And so the premise is me trying to make that academic theory and apply it to real-life cold cases. And in relation to Robert Black, it's also quite clear that he's been in the press recently because of the murder of Jennifer Cardy. And he was brought to account for that in Northern Ireland through a process called similar fact evidence. And in a sense, what I'm showing is the criminological reality behind similar fact evidence and seeing if I can apply that to even more cold cases that Robert Black might be responsible for. What brick walls do you find, or what, what constraints do you find in matching uh, old crimes to convicted offenders? Because presumably it takes, if they're locked away for life, there's not a great incentive to go through another criminal process to, you know, to reinforce their previous convictions. Well, the first thing to say is that I'm obviously not a police officer, and I'm not trying to present my information before a judge and a jury. And therefore, what I can do is encourage the police to think about warming up cold cases. I want them to watch the documentary with an open mind. And in relation to the killer behind bars not wanting to talk about things, the interesting thing about Black was that in the, in the programme, we're going to play for the first time to an audience the tapes that were constructed of his therapy sessions with Ray Wire. And in those tapes, I think Black reveals a great deal about other cases that he was responsible for. And interestingly, he never mentions Jennifer Cardi in those tapes. So there are, uh, even when he's prepared to talk, he's still hiding things. But I think he reveals in the tape uh, a particular uh, murder that one can start looking at as being Robert Black's responsibility. And what clues are you looking for in those uh, interviews with Ray Wire? I'm looking for the technique in particular. We use two techniques in particular in the Robert Black episode. We use geographic profiling and smallest space analysis. And quite simply, smallest space analysis is just looking at the, the traits of the crime scenes the abduction of the victim, what happens to the victim, uh, is the victim buried after he or she is murdered. Just looking at those traits we know to be empirically true because they, the killer has been convicted of those and applying them to cold cases to see if there are similarities. So that's the first thing that we do with Black. We know he was responsible for the murder of Jennifer Cardi, for the murders of Caroline Hogg, and so forth, and so Sarah Harper, and so forth. So what do we know about those murders? 
What do we know about what happened to them? Is there any similarity to what we therefore know empirically to be the case? And can we apply that to cold cases? And we can. And the other thing we can do with Robert Black is geographic profiling. And when I do the geographic profiling about the routes that he would travel on to deliver the posters that he uh, had to deliver to various parts of the country, it is quite clear we can place Robert Black in particular areas when young girls disappeared. And how many other cases do you think he is responsible for? I actually think that Robert Black could have been killing and getting away with it for a decade or more. And therefore, I know everybody wants a number. Um, I, I, I don't feel I'd like to give a number. All I would say is that he could be the most prolific child killer that we have had in this country. I think he may have killed more. In fact, we only have to, Robert Black only has to be convicted of one more murder and he will have killed the same number of people as the Moors, same number of children as the Moors murderers. So he could be the most prolific child killer in British history. And do you think he's had any other victims in, the, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, or the Republic? I think there may be one other in Northern Ireland. Um, but I think the, the, the particular programme, I'm looking at two English cases. Mm. I can't prove one of the English cases. And as you know, Donald, often academically, disproving a hypothesis is just as important and powerful as proving your hypothesis. And on one of the cases, the English cases I look at, I just cannot, cannot demonstrate it. But in the, the second case, I feel there is compelling information that would encourage me, if I was a, a police officer, to think, I'll warm up that cold case. Now, in relation to the Northern Ireland uh, case, um, presumably missing young children, that's a rare event. Serial killers are rare entities. Matching the two, how do you go about that? You look at the timeline. So you say... When did these children go missing? We know empirically these children went missing on such and such a day when they were going to such and such a place. They were last seen at this particular bus stop or riding their bicycle here or walking to the, the park there. So we've got one timeline related to the victim and we've got a second timeline related to the perpetrator. We know that the perpetrator in, Robert's Black, in Robert Black's case, often because he was having to deliver to particular towns and cities. And we also had petrol receipts, which placed him in specific petrol stations at times. So you look and see if the timeline of the victim and the timeline of Black overlap. And therefore, you can infer a great deal from that. And then you look at the smallest space analysis material. In other words, what is the basis of how this killer, we know this killer has killed in the past, and does any of that fit in relation to this particular victim? In terms of the uh, Republic of Ireland and, and Northern Ireland, is there anything unique to their, those societies and, and the, these countries which basically um, makes it uh, easier to catch a serial killer? I think absolutely. I think that... What's interesting about the Republic of Ireland in particular is that sense of a still a close-knit culture where people will know each other, where people will be able to identify differences and oddnesses in behaviour. 
the best example I can give to move from Northern uh, Republic of Ireland to Scotland is that there are 3 million people living in the Republic of Ireland and 5 million people who live in Scotland. In relation to the, there are a disproportionate number of Scottish serial killers in terms of British serial killers, but with the exception of one, all of those Scottish serial killers killed in England. In other words, Scotland, because of that kind of close-knit culture, tends not to be the kind of culture which is going to allow the serial killer the anonymity, the transience, to be able to kill. And I think that's also the case for the Republic of Ireland. But you and I both very well know that the, there are a number of unsolved murders in the Wicklow Mountains, which undoubtedly is, uh, is the work of a serial killer. And you and I both know that we think we know who that culprit is. Um, and therefore, the way that one would look specifically at the Republic of Ireland is to work out why those women in that area at that period of time fell victim to that particular serial killer. And I suppose it is a matter of mathematics and uh, how many people uh, have, the, have the wherewithal and the pathology to go about committing those egregious crimes. And in any one place, any one time, not very many. And at any given time, I always say, there is going to be a very small number of people who will want to do maximum damage to their fellow human beings. But it's only at certain times in our cultures when, can, when those small numbers of people are able to do those dreadful things. So, for example, it's very interesting that during the 1920s and 30s in Britain, there were no serial killers, whilst just across the channel in the Weimar Republic and the Third Reich, there were 12 documented cases of serial killers. And it seems to me the problem for Ireland and also for this country is that when the gap between the haves and the have-nots becomes wider, when people start targeting groups of people who are seen as not productive, as on the fringes of society, either economically or socially or morally because of their sexual behaviour, that's when you tend to get more serial killers working in those cultures. When the gap between rich and poor becomes wider and when we start to say that those people are worthless in terms of this culture progressing. It might sound slightly left field, but in the current economic climate, uh, you take Greece, you take uh, Ireland, you take you know, Spain and Italy. In, are the ingredients there, the financial economic ingredients there, to suggest that you will have more serial killers, more cases, simply because of the social and economic circumstances? You won't necessarily get more cases of serial killers, but you will get more, more crime. Because when the, the gap... We know that unequal societies... Unequal societies produce the most amount of crime. Societies which are more egalitarian, like the Scandinavian countries, have less crime and less murder. And when you see that kind of anomie, as Durkheim would describe it, that's when you start getting more crime and some more murder. And we saw that most of all in Japan. Japan had a very, very close-knit culture, but when it went through its economic problems in the 1980s, we suddenly started seeing a lot of 
strange and aberrant violent behaviour. In relation um, to Robert Black again, um, just in terms of um, serial killers and Robert Black, is there anything that we can do as a society um, on a police enforcement level to catch people like Robert Black earlier? Is it just the recognition that you know a guys capable of these kind of crimes are very rare and they're likely to have done more than one because they practice their art? I, th I think I think that we should these are, these these cases are so rare that we should instead spend most of our time thinking about the more typical murder cases and therefore we're looking at things like domestic violence we're looking at things like homophobia we're we're looking at things related to sex workers and I think that's where society should concentrate its efforts because you're always going to be ha have the small group of people who will want to kill, but they'll concentrate their efforts in vulnerable groups. So you can manage some of their activity by making those vulnerable groups less vulnerable. And to sign off uh, for our readers and listeners in this podcast, um, I'm always asked, Donald, what's wrong with you? You're so attracted to crime that you're so delve into all sorts of corners of society. Something wrong with you. You know, why are you uh, uh, so immersed in this world? I think I entered this world almost by accident. And I entered this world really because of um, academic theoretical, theoretical ideas. I joined the prison service as an assistant governor at Wormwood Scrubs literally two days after finishing my PhD. It was almost an academic exercise. And it was only because thereafter of the experiences that I had as a young junior prison governor that meant that ultimately I became involved in this world because I was asked to give advice to the police based on the work that I had done at Grendon and in setting up the two units at Wood Hill. So it was those experiences that were almost accidental and I actually started thinking about these things theoretically. And now I'm in that world and I can't get out of it, even if I chose to. So I just make the best of it, which is about talking about these things, isn't it? Well, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, <laughs> Professor David Wilson, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Pleasure. That was Professor David Wilson, and this is Donald McIntyre signing off for The Sunday World. The Sunday World, your full Irish Sunday. <laughs>